And for those of us who are staying in, we're going to be reading from God's Word now, and it's continuing our series in Zechariah, and we're turning to Zechariah chapter 5. Uh, and also just a, a reminder, as R and H are, are intending to go away, if uh, you don't know that or want to know a little bit more about the details, there is a prayer card just outside the door. Uh, you can pick that prayer card up. Uh, you can be part of uh, contributing and uh, supporting them. Uh, there are envelopes there, or Paul Hanna would be able to tell you how you might be able to contribute that to them and support them monthly through our own church accounts. If you're not on the, the prayer list for R&H, we encourage you to be part of and get your name onto their prayer letter. Uh, you can contact them direct, or I'm sure uh, Paul Hanna would be able to help you out, or, or Robert as well would be able to help you out uh, with that. And uh, that would be great to just know that they are going with the support and the love of, of our congregation. Now, let's turn to God's Word. It's uh, Zechariah chapter 5, and what a strange, weird uh, passage this really is. Uh, the book of Zechariah uh, has many strange, weird things in it, uh, and I don't think there's many more uh, weird than this, but... So let's hope we can make a little bit of sense out of this passage today. So if you've got the passage in front of you, let's hear God's word. And these are almost the final two of the eight visions that are in the book of Zechariah. There's eight in total. Today's visions are number six and seven. So Zechariah chapter five, verse one, and let's hear God's word. I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll, 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide. And he said to me, This is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished. And according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in that house and destroy it completely, both its timbers and its stones. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, look up and see what is happen, appearing. I asked, what is it? And he replied, it is a basket. And he added, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of the lead was raised and there in the basket sat a woman. He said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed its lead cover down on it. Then I looked up and before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. And he replied to the country of Babylonia to build a house for it. And when the house is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. And we pray that the Lord would add his blessing upon his truth. Amen. 
And that is pretty strange and, and pretty weird. Actually, what it's about in many ways uh, is something that we all would have the opportunity to wrestle or think about at times, and that is the, the problem of, of evil and the problem of sin. And yet sometimes we're inclined to think that it's only philosophers and that sort of uh, characters would be the ones who actually think about that issue because it's so remote. But at the end of the day, we realize that dealing with sin and dealing with evil and what we actually should do with it is something that affects us all. Uh, even just thinking during this COVID period, uh, some of the statistics that are beginning to be released that, uh, that the incidence of fraud has increased by about a third because everybody has been stuck inside their houses, either working from home or having forced exile and being stuck in home. And if you are uh, having to isolate a special hello this morning. Uh, incidences of domestic abuse have skyrocketed because of all that again. So evil, sin, is not a, a remote issue, but it is something that really does affect us all. And there may be many times that we feel that we are struggling enough and finding it difficult enough to get through. Do we need to listen to a passage like this, which seems to be all about sin and all about evil? Give us a break. And I'm sure the people in Zechariah's day would have felt something similar as well. Uh, we all know, as we've been hearing week after week, that these people were struggling. They arrived back in the Promised Land. They were due to rebuild the, the temple. They'd got as far as the foundations, and there it had, had stopped. And they had been struggling, and life had been hard for them. And they could well have felt, Lord, give us a break. We don't need to hear all this stuff about sin and evil. I'm finding it hard enough to, to, to get through. Is there any need for God, as it were, to open up the bonnet of our lives and have a look under that bonnet because it's not going to be nice. I know it's not going to be nice, but that is what God seems to do in this passage. And so as I'm thinking again of the people of Zechariah's day, they've arrived back in the promised land. They're back trying to build the, the temple. They're back trying to regularize proper worship and Maybe God could say, yep, that's great, that's fine. There's a sense that the gospel light hasn't been extinguished. The gospel is still there. Uh, the, the, the light of, of the truth of God is still there. But the question that really remains for the people, because they have been so sidetracked, is will the light of the gospel really burn brightly? Okay, it's there, but the light may only be dim. And I think that's got, still got something to, to say to us as well in our current context, because uh, even when we think of church generally, not even ourselves, uh, we're, yeah, we've been moving along and we've been getting to, to an extent of coming back and, and worshiping together, but it's not quite burning as brightly as it once was. You will know people uh, who maybe that, that they were once very committed and very strong in their faith and... Uh, very central, and yet maybe it's not just burning as bright uh, just at the moment. So those are questions which, which are real and were faced by the people of Zechariah's day. And certainly, again, I'm thinking about sin and just God having a, a look at that, and God is saying in this passage, I'm concerned about these things. And there are two visions that are here, two strange visions. Uh, the first one, is the flying scroll. 
And you'll see that in verses one through to four. And the essence of that and what that is really about, to cut to the chase, is, is, is this is God's way of showing sin. Uh, Zechariah would have had no difficulty in identifying what he saw this time. In other visions, he's been asking the question, what is this thing? What does this look like? Uh, a scroll would have been familiar to him. A scroll, as you would well remember, could be made either from bits of leather that are stitched together, uh, or it could be papyrus, and it was long and thin, and it was written on. There have been two wooden uh, small poles at either end and the leather or the papyrus would have been wound around that and then anytime you wanted to, to read you simply rolled back a little bit and you made your way through that uh, scroll by unrolling one side and then rolling up the other so that you probably only needed to read a very small bit at a time. You only had to have a small bit open and it was good for carrying, it was good for storing. So that's what the scroll is. That's what Zechariah would have been familiar with. But that's where normality here ends because as you look at verse 2, what is distinctive about this scroll is that I see a flying scroll 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide. So not only is this scroll flying, but its size is weird. Now, 10 cubits by 20 cubits doesn't mean much to you, but that's roughly 30 feet by 15 feet. A normal scroll could be 30 feet long, but it would only be about 12 inches deep. This one is 15 feet deep. So it's not really like a scroll. It's more like a banner. A banner that you might sometimes see flying behind one of those little tiny aeroplanes up in the sky. And the purpose of those is to get you to see something. Here's something that is important. Here is something that is literally in your face. This is something that God wants you to see. This is a message that you can't avoid. That's maybe part of this imagery that you're meant to pick up up on just now. This is a really important message that God says you can't avoid. You need to see this. But there's another side to its dimensions which is important and it's specifically given here and it's described as being 20 cubits by, by 10 cubits and those dimensions were the exact same dimensions as the size of the holy of holies, the holiest place in the temple. So this Size, this imagery is overladen with spiritual, deep spiritual significance, which is further understood as we read into verse 3. When we see what's actually written on it, it says, This is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished, and according to what it says on the other, Everyone who swears falsely will be banished. So on one side, there's a curse for the thieves, for anyone who steals. On the other side, there's a curse for anyone who swears falsely, or what we might say takes the Lord's name in vain, swears falsely using and invoking God's name. And I have to say, this is where the commentators have helped me because the two sides, they say, are relating to the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. Remember those two sides, as it were, of the Ten Commandments on tablet number one? You have commandments one through five, and on the second tablet, you have commandments six through ten. Now, 
what we're reading here in this verse, in verse 3, are two of the commandments. What numbers are the two of these commandments? It's numbers 3 and number 8. You can't steal and you don't take the Lord's name in vain. And in the Hebrew mind, when you take the middle of something, what happens when you take the middle of something is that that is representing taking the whole. So by taking the middle commandments each time in the sets of five, numbers three and numbers eight, what is represented here is the entire, the whole of the law of God. So this is the banner. This is the thing that's flying up. It's the entire word of God. That's the thing that's so obvious. That's the thing that you can't afford to miss. This is what God is speaking to you. That's what God wants to get your attention with. And because all the imagery that's used here is from the, the normal day-to-day -day business life, it's about buying, it's about selling, it's about stealing, it's measuring stuff. That's what the basket's about later on as well. So all these things are the daily commercial activity. And in effect, what God is saying, I care about these things. I care about what you do each and every day. I'm not just worried about the big things. I'm cared about everything every little detail. And it's as if that God is saying by this big message that is to represent his entire word, the entire law of God, God says, I care about all these things. So when you sin, I care about that. It's an offense to me when you sin. And God is looking, God sees these things and God judges the depths of our heart. That's what this image, this vision is about and it's like God is now saying to the people of Zechariah's day, okay, I see that you're back in the promised land. That's good. I see that you're beginning to get worship regularized again. That's good. But don't think that I am not also concerned about all the other little tiny things that you might be tempted to overlook. Because you lie and you steal and you cheat. And I'm concerned about those things. And God could say the same to us. I'm quite sure it's great that you're doing X, Y, and Z, and you're getting on with all these, all these other things, and you're trying to get your priorities right and your focus right. But God says, I care about everything. I care about the small things as well. So don't just give yourself a free pass thinking you're doing reasonably well. You see... Maybe you're thinking, moving reasonably pleased with yourself because it's taken you a long time to come to faith. That was a, a slow, arduous journey for you. But finally, you, you said, I knew I had to become a Christian and, and I've become a Christian. And you're almost self-congratulating yourself with that, that you are forgetting that God has something to say to you today. And that God will continue to drill down deep into your heart so that he will show you things about yourself. Or again, maybe you've been really beset by, by one particular sin above all. But you have experienced in the power and in the power of the Spirit of God, you've experienced a sense of relief and release from that as you literally feel those chains being broken and you're praising God for that and you're thankful to God for that. And yes, we are thankful for those things, but God again can be drilling now into your heart 
about something else, something that you wouldn't even have been aware of because you were so preoccupied with something else. So in all of these aspects of our lives, God will speak. This is the, the message that is flying high in the sky. It's the whole word of God, and God has a message for you. And we wonder, what is that message? What is God speaking to you about that you may be trying to ignore? How is God drilling down into your heart and showing you stuff about yourself? So that's the first image, and it's about, really about showing our sin. The second image, and it's even more weird, and it's the, the woman in the basket, and I think what the essence of this one is about is that this is showing us this is how God fixes sin. It's the solution for our sin. I mean, let's join into the Bible passage again at verse 6. Zechariah asked, what is it? And he replied, it is a basket. And this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Literally here, the word for basket is the measuring basket, or we've also heard and used in the, in the Old Testament, the ephah. It was the standard measuring size for dry goods. So there was a tendency back in the day, um, if, you could, if you were a, tr a commercial salesman of some description, and you were a shopkeeper, and you were selling, let's say it was coffee, and you were selling that, and you, someone came in and they wanted an ephah of coffee, the temptation for you was that you would have had two sizes of baskets. You had a slightly bigger one and a slightly smaller one. Whenever you were at the wholesaler, you used the bigger one to get as much as you could, and when you were selling it to someone down the street, you were using the smaller one to give away as little as possible. And the prophet Amos denounced the people and the tradesmen and everybody else of his day. And he says, you are cheats and you are defrauding people. And I hate those things. So that's maybe a little bit about what's the basket and how iniquity is caught up with the, with the basket. But there's strange things happen with this basket. If you look in verse 7, it says, when the cover of, the, of lead was raised and there in the basket sat a woman. So we don't need to read anything more into the fact that this was a woman other than the fact that it's a feminine form of a word. You know, like in French, some words are feminine, some words are masculine, same in German, many other languages, same in Hebrew. The word for wickedness has a feminine form, so natural enough to, to depict then a woman as being uh, wickedness here. But what is actually happening in this basket, if you look at it, is that wickedness, sin, is trying to get out. It's trying to be free. It's trying to run amok. It's trying to ruin people's lives. And sin wants to get out. Sin wants to ruin the world. Sin wants to ruin you. And it will if you give it half a chance. But as you look at this picture, look at what is happening, is that the angel, in this sense, representing God, is literally pushing wickedness, pushing the woman back into the basket so that she's not getting out and that wickedness is not getting out. So what you are meant to see is that God restrains sin. See, this world of ours would be a lot worse were it not for the fact that we so often forget that God restrains wickedness. He holds it back. 
It would be 10 times worse. It's bad enough as we look at it, but let us not forget that God is not absent from our world, that God is active in our world. We do not believe that God is simply a God who said, let there be light, and then he left it, and then he says, let it go and let it do whatever it likes. God is always active and that he is over everything and in everything. He has not left us to our own devices. And even when it comes to wickedness and evil, God is restraining evil in the world right now. If God wasn't doing that, what mess would this place really be? And yet we, I think, have an inclination only to think of the difficulties we face. I read a blog a couple of weeks ago which really fits into this quite well and this writer was writing about an occasion he visited Gettysburg battle site. You know, you could think any, any battle in history, any World War I battle site that you've been to, I guess even the Battle of the Boyne or, or absolutely anyone, any place. But when you're there, you have to really think hard to remember that once upon a time, it was chaos in that moment. Guns were fired, bayonets were fixed, swords clashed, there was chaos, there was blood, there was madness at what was happening in those moments as one army faced another and people and men fell in excruciating pain and ultimately died or lived with the consequences of what they were doing. But on the day you visited that battle site, it's really hard to imagine that there once was all that chaos because all you can see are it's grass, there's daisies, or there's poppies growing. The wind gently blows and the leaves rustle, but that's as much as you can see. And you find it hard to think about the, the chaos that once reigned in those moments. And yet, Taking that picture back to how sin runs in our lives, we find it so easy just to remember what's happening right now. So if you're struggling with sin right now, all that you can think about is that I, I keep falling into this and I keep making a mess and I can't get rid of this and I can't see how I'm ever going to be released from this. I can't see how life's ever going to get any better. And what we're forgetting is maybe 10 years ago or longer because you've forgotten what God has enabled to happen in your life and you have forgotten those wonders of grace and mercy where God has enabled in his spirit for you to overcome sin in the past. You have forgotten the chaos and the misery and the pain of those years that are past because you are simply fixated in the present. You cannot remember what God has done. And if you remember for your encouragement that what God was doing is that God was restraining sin. And he has restrained it in your own life. And he is doing that right now. You would be a lot worse were it not for the fact that God is working in your life right now. So be encouraged that God is working in your life. He is restraining sin. And not only in your life, but in the life of our world and in our society. Things would be a lot worse were it not that God is there. And we are not as bad as we might have been because of what God has been doing. And we should rejoice that God is working.
and that right now we should be able to look back and see those evidences of what God has been doing and be thankful and rejoice in the fact that God is strong, that God is great, and that God has broken the power of sin. So we need to stand in that truth. So that's our sin. But let's not remember that God restrains sin. And he's doing that in your life now. But even better, there's a picture in this passage that sin is also carried away. And this, I think, is our greatest encouragement today. Verse 9. Then I looked up and... There before me were two women with the wind in their wings and they had wings like those of a stork and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Now the word wind in the Hebrew language is a, again a depictor of the spirit, the wind of God. Um, a stork is described as being a faithful one. So these are God's agents. These are agents coming to do the will of God. And the image that, that is happening here is literally that sin is being carried away. See, God is not content simply to restrain sin, but that he wants to get rid of sin and he wants to carry it away from you. And Zechariah is evidently asking, where are they taking it? Verse 10. And then the answer is in verse 11, to the country of Babylonia, to build a house for it. And when the house is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. Now, in our translation, it says it's going to the country of Babylonia. In the original Hebrew, what that is is the land of Shinar. And our Bible translation here doesn't simply do a translation of the original Hebrew. It also does a little bit of interpretation because in other places in the Bible, when it talks about Shinar, they describe it as being Babylon. And so our translators have put those two things together. And so that's why it says Babylonia to help you understand that. But let's go back to Shinar, what the, what the text is actually saying. It's gone to the land of Shinar. For you, those of you who know your Bibles really well, where do you remember the land of Shinar? Or what happened in the land of Shinar in the early chapters of Genesis? That was the place where the Tower of Babel was built. And you remember the Tower of Babel and what was going on is that that was the place and that was the time when men decided that they could ascend to be like God. Where they decided we no, no longer need God. We are all-powerful and we can do what we like and we do not need God in our lives in any shape or form and God came in judgment. So Shinar stands for the place where everything is against God and that's where sin is being taken. Or if you like, there's maybe even hints of Romans chapter 1 here where God simply eventually gives people over to themselves. He restrains from sin, but eventually he says, well, if you don't want me, you will not have me and I will give you over to myself. So we will see sin developing because God gives men and women over to themselves. But ultimately here, this is a reminder that God has put sin in its place. Now, Zechariah didn't know how that would happen how our sin could be carried away. But we know. I read from Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
Now that curse that was so prominent in the first vision, in describing what sin actually is, it's everything that you do, and the curse that was coming because of that, God has answered that in Jesus. Because on the cross, our sin, our guilt, all that we have done wrong was taken from us and it was placed on Jesus. And as Jesus breathed his last, he says, it is finished. And he took our sins so that we, the ones who are guilty, the ones who deserve that punishment, the ones who deserve that curse, we walk free and that curse falls on Jesus. And so the cross was the wonderful, complete transaction of God where our sin was placed on him and we walk free. We, the people who deserved hell, walk free because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So if you are a Christian today, you know the power and the truth of that. Again, if I read from 1 John 3 verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. That's the image that's in Zechariah 5, that our sin is literally carried away. And what greater incentive is there than actually becoming a Christian, than knowing the reality, the power, and the truth of that? To know that when you come to take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you come and you say to Jesus, I know that I have sinned, and I know that I can't fix this myself. And I need your grace and I need your forgiveness. And I need you to put this right. And I need you to come into my life. What greater encouragement is there for us today than this? To know that I need to become a Christian. I may have been putting this off. I may have been delaying this. I may have been running away from this. But there is a gospel truth and a certainty here that because of what Jesus has done in carrying my sin away, that I know that I will be in heaven. And that I know not only will I be in heaven, but that I will see again those who have gone before me and have already died in the Lord so that I will see them in heaven. And not only will I see them in heaven, but I will see Jesus face to face in heaven. What greater encouragement is there to be a Christian than to know the certainty and the power of the gospel that is here? Because in this passage, we surely have seen our sin that God is working at and he's drilling away at and he's revealing to you, to all of us. But he's also said, I've paid the price and I've carried that sin away and you are free. Let's pause in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of knowing that our salvation is full and free. Yes, we are sinners, but Lord, we are sinners saved by grace. Lord, work your spirit into our lives and into our assurance that we will know and stand in these truths and they will hold us strong in the week to come. 
Lord, simply show us our Savior, Jesus, and what he has done for us. Amen.